Welcome to Wisco Dice. Welcome to Wisco Dice. Hey, yo, whoa, that's a voice we haven't heard in a couple weeks. Uh, so who do we have here? I'm Robert Elmer, the Swiss dictator. Hey, how's it going, bro? It's going pretty good. I'm wrapping the semester up, getting ready for Midwest Rampage. Excellent. Midwest Rampage. What can you tell us about that? Uh, the Peoria, Illinois area, if I remember correctly, 3,000 points, no grand army, and one of the things they have you do that kind of makes it a little more unique is you have the opportunity to provide the terrain for a table. And if you do so, not only do you get bonus points for your appearance score, you count as having a display board, you also get to play on that table for the first game, so you get to know what you're doing on the first table. And... I elected to do that this year because it kind of motivates me to get more terrain painted. And one of the things I really had a lot of fun making was a watchtower. And it's not the Games Workshop one. It's a different one. I, I, I got it from John Wagner. I can't remember. I don't know what company it is. But it's three pieces that connect to each other. And it's got a little spiral staircase inside. And what I did to add a little bit of character to it was I made it look like there's moss growing on. And this is pretty easy to do. And what you do is you take coarse pumice. You, I got I got mine at the last square, one of the sponsors. And you put that on there, move it around a bit so it looks a little rough. And then you, when you paint it, you use... I start with raw flesh as the base. And then I do several different greens, including what used to be the old camo green. I can't remember what the new name is now. And a couple other greens on there. And I do... What I do is I do it while it's still all wet, so it mixes in and blends a bit. And then you let that dry, you throw on a wash. I believe I, I can't remember if I used, I used one of the uh, Prism Gaming's washes on. I can't remember if I used the armor wash or the, the leather wash. Leather would make sense to me there. So, but in the end, it, it looks like it has moss growing on it, which is more interesting than just a plain building. It, it, it looks a little more real, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Totally makes sense. You want to make it look like it's a little aged, weathered, you know. Th- mm-hmm. These buildings, these giant stone structures shouldn't look pristine by any means. You know, it's not no. like somebody's out there shining them up and looking them, making them all like perfect like they would when they get like a bunch of the pre-painted plastic garbage that comes out there. Right. One of the, uh, I, can't, I can't remember what they called them at the top of the tower. They got that jagged teeth effect going on. One of those little teeth actually just broke in my car, and I'm leaving it like that. It looks like battle damage, you know? So, and I uh, also made a sorceress portal. I posted a picture of that on Twitter, and what I did for that was I went to Goodwill, and I I always check Goodwill, see if I can see something I can turn into terrain, because you could be surprised, and I found an old go, uh, golf trophy. So, okay. you know, some guy donated his little golf trophy, and I put took green stuff, and I put that over the golf ball to make it a little more smooth, and I did shades of blue on up to make it look a little eerie, and then I painted yellow rune, just random runes on there to make it look enchanted, painted that up, made the base look like it was building, festooned it with skulls, as is appropriate for all things Warhammer, okay. uh, put the Mark Nurgle on there, I also have a Bane Stone, which... It, on one part of it, it looks like there's faces that were trapped inside it, sticking out of the rock. Okay. And uh, a little bit of gore on top of that. And then, you know, some regular train, hills, woods. Uh, I have to, I have a building I have to bring, which I already have painted, which I'm just 
just using a house I already have, this regular GW house, which I might touch up if I have some time. Sure. With finals. And uh, all special characters are allowed at this event. Uh, no comp is, is pretty much the norm in our neck of the woods. Yep. Uh, we, we do have a comp system. It's called peer pressure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, don't be a complete douche and have fun with it. Yeah, you don't necessarily want to know what's going to happen to you after you've drank too many beers on Saturday night. Right. Yeah. You know, if you take an all Rhinox list, you, 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 you might fall down a few times. Rhinox, riders. Exactly. Rhinox, riders. <laughs> so there's that. Um, I haven't touched my Flames of War because I've been busy getting ready. And I... Uh, with Midwest Rampage, it's, it's as I said, 3,000 points, which means you get to bring out a lot of the toys you don't always necessarily get to bring out. Yeah, yeah, you get that expanded points value, so you get to play a little bit more stuff, a little more toys, a little more Warhammer without getting outside of that kind of composition set that you're used to at 2,400 or 2,500 points. Because and You're looking at at least an extra unit or maybe an extra character depending on the army you play. Yeah, and you don't you don't have to worry about like uh, the four hydra silliness or the you know triple well, hell cannon silliness or things like that. I mean, and I, I think the, the the that's the only comp there really is is just the no grand army, and I don't think anyone has any qualms about that whatsoever. To be honest, I think uh, Screw City does the same thing, no grand yep. army. And I'm taking my Nurgle Warriors. That's no surprise for people who've seen me on the tournament circuit over the last year. I've been playing them since, I think, last Bits. Bits 2012 is when I unveiled them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm really enjoying them, and the new book just has me even more pumped for them, to be honest. I'm not going to lie. I'm really enjoying the new book. There's a lot more options with the new book. Mm-hmm. I think my Warrior Blocks, because I dropped the shields that used to be on them to save points... I think they're maybe a tiny bit more expensive, but completely worth it in my book. I never fielded Marauders, even in the old book. Uh, as I think I mentioned on with uh, Cheddar Bowl, the Gorby's chariots fell on my lap because they were already made to look like that a year ago. So, and that brings up one of the things, what I've been doing hobby-wise, is I finally finished my Chosen. After all those episodes... Saying I'm going to finish them, they're finally done. Really? Yeah, uh, that sounds done. unheard of. I know, but their unit chosen being an elite, yeah, elite bunch of guys. You don't want to take your, you don't want to slack off on them. You want to put your work into them. You want to make sure you get them to the point where you're happy, or you're going to regret it. Sure, sure. And uh, what I did for them is actually fairly simple. It was, I don't like the chosen models they have for a number of reasons and it's also cheaper this way i took the base warrior and i got these bits i got in a trade from a buddy who was leaving the hobby and uh, he sold me some stuff and these i think dennis gunia uses these two on his slanesh guys but there's these spartan like helms with the plumes that work just fine for chaos warriors sure and so they stand out because of that uh if you've seen my army, green armor, the just like the fur on the warriors, the plumage is yellow. Got to go with what people have been lovingly calling my Green Bay Warrior theme. Sure. And uh, I also, uh, for their halberds, I took the streamers from the Plague Monks, 
uh, sprues, painted runes on those to add a little bit of detail, make them stand out, make them... I want them to contrast enough from the warriors so, you know, these aren't just more warriors. These are something different. Okay. A few mutations randomly in there. And then the champion has the book from the Plague Monk sprue that's got runes and drew a very tiny map on there and a couple other things. So it looks slightly more arcane. Not like zine-level arcane, but a little more demonic, a little more touched by chaos. Something you know? with a bunch of dark secrets and he's he's been reading up on, huh? Exactly, you know. He's been reading uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. No, that's Slanesh. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, you get what I'm saying. Yep, I definitely get it. And that, that was a lot of fun to paint, but also in, in some ways very frustrating. It was fun because of the creativity it allowed me, some of the ideas I came up with. It was frustrating just because it seemed like I'd been working on it for so long that I see how what progress had actually been made in terms of numbers of figures, and it just seemed daunting. But then I realized I'm also putting that much detail in them, you know. Yeah, there's there is always that. It's like a le- certain level of oh my god, I'm just sick. I just want to stop painting these guys. Oh wait, I've got more of them to do. I've got more of them to do. I've got more of them to do. And and, and when you start buying into that, I'm going to spend a couple hours or three hours a fig or something like that. It gets kind of painful to to see progress, and that kind of is a huge. I know for me, it's a huge demotivator. Oh yeah, it it's quick side story that's funny, but it's one of those little anecdote times. When I was a kid, Uh-oh. we went to the museum. I ordered a pancake. I thought the pancake was normal. Came out was bigger than my head today. And my eyes turned the size of the pancake, and I couldn't even take a bite. It's that kind of effect. You just freeze. You just don't know what to do almost sometimes. Yeah, it, it definitely stalls you out. You're like, oh, I could go paint for an hour, but I'm I'm not going to actually get anything done. Right. Because you're really, even though you're getting stuff done, it's really not getting, it's not migrating the stuff off the table. It really does, it kind of, it's a, it's a hobby killer when you start going to that level if you don't. Um, find a way to push yourself to get that 30 minutes or an hour a day on your hobby. Mm. Uh, that, that's, that's the biggest killer. I know for, and that goes for new guys too that are paint, painting their army for the first time. You know, and you're working on it, working on it, working on it, and you're like, oh, I'm disappointed with the way it looks. Um, this, I, this put, you know, I don't have, I don't feel like I have any time because they're, you know, when they do sit down at the table, the, the production value of what they're doing isn't, you know, necessarily as good as, say, uh, somebody that's been doing the hobby for five, ten years or, or, or as an artist or whatever, and then they turn around and and it's taking them forever to see progress, and all of a sudden that's just a hobby killer. It's a demotivator for most folks. So, yeah, it's definitely a challenge, and that's what kind of makes those guys that that can output uh, like this, you know, incredibly awesome armies, these really cool armies. Uh, it really makes those extra special because you you know that that's a killer time investment. Because you because especially once you paint it. Eat- even if, like, my first army, that was not that great looking, to be honest. But if you painted an army, even if it's, you know, only four or five colors, no shading, you you already understand the kind of commitment that it takes to paint an entire army. And then to do it well, you really begin to respect that. Exactly. Now, have you been actually playing any games lately? Have you been actually doing the Warhammer thing, or has it just been painting for you? It's been mostly been painting because I've been 
what free time I've had has been more put into the hobby side just because I've been focusing on school, real life, that kind of thing, you know. Sure. I think since the last time I was on the show, I had to put a dog to sleep and since I've adopted a new one, so happy ending on that. Yep. You know, and, and that took some out of me, too, obviously, but semester's wrapping up so I can put a lot more time in, although I'll be honest, hobby-wise, I'm thinking I'm switching to Flames of War for a while. I'm tired of painting Warhammer. I need to paint something else. <laughs> yeah, I've been definitely doing this with a challenge with Mr. Sherman. I've been bouncing back and forth, doing different types of models, doing different model lines, just to kind of maintain my sanity and not mm. go completely berserk. So I've, I mean, I've done a bunch of Starship Troopers stuff right recently, so I got a bunch of my mobile infantry now is done. So I've, I got almost a thousand points of mobile infantry done, nice. and then I've got a. Uh, it doesn't take a lot, you know. It's like twelve or fifteen models, and you're up to like a thousand points in that game. But yeah, so again, we should try that game. And again, to the new players out there, uh, whether you have picked two armies for Warhammers, they have different styles, or if you play 40k and are getting into fantasy, switch it up a little bit. That'll get, yeah, you know, that'll kind of get that past that that grudging through a paint job. Is you paint two guys of your, uh, sca- you know, Skaven that you have so goddamn many million to paint. Then you paint a space marine or whatever. Even switching it up between those two systems, or if you switch for me going from 28 millimeter fantasy to 15 millimeter flames of war, that is you. It's saving your sanity and it's going to save mine. That'll kind of get away from that uh, skull druggery too. Yeah, I I was uh, working on uh, doing my tomb kings, which you know I'm putting in three to four hours on a skeleton. And while that's not a Johnny Hastings three to four hours of skeleton, that's that's still, you know, and for me, that's an impressive amount of time per model, and that's a real hobby killer. I mean, we just talked about how, you know, spending a lot of time on a single model can really demotivate you. Well, mm-hmm. it's been nice. I'll work on three or four of those, and at the same time, I'm pumping out Flames of War, or I'm pumping out, I've been doing bolt-action Germans now, so I've got, a, I'm almost finished with two squads of five guys for bolt-action, so that'll get me to... Uh, basically something that's almost playable, and I've got a, a Panzer tank on the table that I'm going to do, and, and that'll I, be a good enough to get me started for like a demo kit for bolt action for the Germans, and then I'm going to get some, I think, uh, uh, British troops to do for bolt action too, so I'll work on demo kits for those two factions mm-hmm. and get those painted up and going so that uh, we can give to a proper review of that game sometime in the future too. Oh, yeah. And... Uh... You just reminded me one thing. I, I know Dan's currently working on his Warriors, and I've, I've offered to him before because, and this can motivate people to paint. I think this is motivating him to finally do his Warriors. Is he got, he's getting tired of playing the same army all the time because he's only got his corn demons because of what yeah. happened years ago. And, uh, if you can get motivated seeing that term and say, I've been playing this army for years, whether it's me saying, I gotta get the Chosen done for Rampage, Dan saying, at some point, he wants to play something different. Or you, with the painting challenge, I, I want to get this army fully painted so I can play with it. I mean, finding motivators to get yourself painting is a good idea, too. Yeah, do you take up the Conzie's challenge out there? I challenge anybody to do that. And that's to, the Conzie's challenge is to not play with anything that's not painted this year. So if you're really motivated to get stuff done... You don't need looking for a motivator. Play with some not painted models, and you'll all of a sudden be ready to go. Uh, mm. you, you'll get motivated to get that stuff to the painting table. But my list for Rampage is 
buildup of the old, the list I've been playing for a while. And that's two blocks of warriors, block of chosen, block of knights, uh, hell cannons coming back. It's taken took a little vacation with Cheddar Bowl. Uh, the two Gorby's chariots, a demon prince, and a BSB, if I remember correctly, and then some dogs. And so it's the first time I'll be taking the demon prince and the chosen. I, well, no, I have taken both before. I, when I tested it against John Wagner way back, I tested the, when I tested the chosen a little bit, I found that they are actually worth the extra points, especially with some of the armies that are popular out there, getting that plus one weapon skill on chosen B weapon skill seven, especially if you're Nurgle like me, suddenly those ogres are hitting you on sixes. Ugh, they will hate you. I mean, not rules wise, but the player will probably hate you. Then you just buy him a beer at Wapaka or some other event. Hopefully calls it even. Overall, the one thing I am worried about playing Nurgle Warriors is not actually my list. I actually feel that I've been playing them long enough that I'm at least somewhat effective with them. That I'm, you know, somewhat confident. But my one concern is that a lot of people who will face me will wonder if I'm a bandwagon jumper. And I've always dreaded that. If I'm playing an army and it gets updated, I'm and if it does well, I'm always dread being accused of, oh, you're just jumping the bandwagon of that army just to be powerful. I kind of felt that way when VC came out in 7th edition, and they were that powerful that I actually switched to Chaos Dwarves just because, I did, even though I loved VC, I didn't want to be seen as the guy, that jerk who plays VC. I'm really enjoying the Nurgle Warriors, and what's really adding to that enjoyment is because... I think it's my best-looking army. I mean, that's my own personal opinion. You can say, you know, my army looks terrible for all you want, but I want an army that's going to look good, not just because of my painting score, all that. I do want that boost. I just don't feel quite satisfied if people don't at least find it pleasing. They don't have to say it's, you know, amazing or anything like that, but I, I do like it when they think the army looks good, that it's going to be an appealing army to play against even if it does rile up the feathers of some Bears fans or Vikings fans, not that I consider Vikings fans people. They're not. They're, 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 there's minions. Well, sorry, guys. No, I think it could be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to Rampage because I do get to add that block of chosen. I just still get to have the Hell Cannon. I don't have to make those cuts. I'm playing with most of my Nurgle Warriors. I'm not taking the Dragon. I'm not taking the Shrine. I mean, as much as I like those, they are fun. At least appearance-wise, I love the Shrine. It's just the Demon Prince just seems like such a better choice than the Dragon in of itself that even if I could somehow fit both in, I'd only really want the Demon Prince, to be honest with you. And I did consider maybe having Demon Prince, no casting, and maybe a... a level 3 lord in there for casting, and eh. I kind of like the blend in some ways. It works, especially with one of the Nurgle spells that can really make characters suffer against the Demon Prince when they fight them. Ben's talking about Adepticon. I missed it this year, and I had fun last year with the team tournament. That was a lot of fun. I went with uh, Nurgle Demons, and my uh, uh, partner had Dwarf, so we were team Smallpox. Two things I'd really like to do in the future with that is do a Nurgle Sinesh team so he could be Team Herpes. That would be a lot of fun and quite hilarious. It would probably disgust a few of our opponents in a very amusing way. But 
I'd actually like to go to the Flames of War tournament there next year, which, from what I've heard, is going to be late war, so I need to debate if I want to play Germans, which is probably what I have as the most flexible, although I have a ton of Russians. The uh, other force I'd be looking at playing is 101st Airborne, because I really like that. I mean, I'm a, I guess you can call me a Band of Brothers fanboy if you want, but doing, you know, the Airborne set for when they dropped into Normandy. I'm using that uniform scheme and basing and everything else because I like that. And yes, I like to say it's easy company, although that'd be the rules under the Nuts supplement. Although they're coming out with a new D-Day compilation soon, apparently. So there's that. Other than that, I'm also planning on going to Blood in the Sun, which I need to make a water piece of terrain for, which... Really, rather than rivers, they're encouraging you to do ponds just because it'll be easier to set the table up for it. So I'm wondering if I want to do necrotic ooze since I play Nurgle. And, well, I want to make things as disgusting as humanly possible because that's just funny. I do kind of have a poor man's necrotic ooze made, which I could just throw in if I wanted to, but I'd prefer maybe to make a nicer-looking one because I, I could... And I think it'd be more eye-appealing. It'd seem less cheap on top of it, so I think I'd rather just make a new one, whatever I do. So that one's going to be fun. That's 2,400 points. Looking forward to that. Still need to figure out what I want to do for the list for that. I, I tested a possible demon list against John Wagner with the new demon rules, and that actually turned out to be a pretty brutal list. Nurgle demons with 5 plus poison all around in huge blocks and a bunch of beasts Nurgle and Nurglings tend not to endear you any friends so I haven't bought the new High Elf book but eh, I kind of want to look through it although I'm not too worried I know the one banner you get the 2 plus ward versus magical attacks and I do have ensorcial land weapons in my knights, obviously the demon prince has magic attacks I just think that justifies taking a Hell Cannon that much more, because you can drop it on a unit that you think is going to have that standard, and since the Hell Cannon's attacks are magic attacks, you'll find out very quickly, because the Strength 5 of the Hell Cannon is going to cut right through the Elven Armor. That's why I have no regrets taking the Hell Cannon now. I was a little ambivalent before, but now no regrets for taking it, so I can say, oh, that unit has... The two plus forward. I'm not sending my demon prince in there or my knights. Sure. Not, not to mention, I, I think I fall back still to the idea that the double hell cannon warriors list is still going to be the most reliable and consistent of those builds. So, uh, yeah. you got, you know, that's just an extra reason to do it. And the only thing is, I just don't have a second hell, hell cannon. Hail, hell. It, it, close enough. Uh, I guess it's the German version. All, all hail the hell cannon. Yeah, pretty much. The only reason I don't have the second Hell Cannon set built, built yet. I mean, I have the, uh, what's the 40k thing I use for the base of it? The Defiler? Yeah, I think you're using the Defiler for the base, yeah. And then I have the Hell Cannon cannon on top and you know, a little bit of green stuff work in there to make it work. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, ha- I have the stuff to make it necessary. Although the second one would be a custom barrel. I was thinking of, I played the Warhammer MMORPG for like a month. Sure. It, they have that tri-barreled version, which okay. I'm thinking of doing for my second Hell Cannon, just for coolness' sake. Yeah, okay. If I do that, I have to decide what the deciding one of the things that has me so hesitant is I want to repaint my Chaos Dwarfs at some point. 
And if I make that second hell cannon, which I was originally planning on using for the chaos source, if it's in the Packer scheme, as people have been calling it for my warriors, the green-yellow scheme, then that means I'm probably going to want to do my chaos doors in that same color scheme so I can use those hell cannons. Why would I want to get two more hell cannons when I have two I could use? Okay. So, I mean, that that's one of the things that has me so hesitant. Plus, at the same time, I'm looking at some of the other options. Knights, I could see myself dropping for a hell cannon quite easily, to be honest. But I wouldn't drop the Chosen for it, even though that's significantly more points. But to me, the Chosen seem val- very valuable, That especially since they're another unit with fortitude that can fight hard. And it's another unit that you just painted up and made all shiny and you want to put them on the table. Yeah, I'm probably going to be taking them <laughs> for that at least the next two tournaments, maybe longer. I'm definitely taking them to this tournament, I'm definitely taking them to Screw City, and I'm probably taking them to Blood in the Sun. Yeah, I don't know what I'm taking to Blood in the Sun yet. I think that still depends on what my painting motivation is for my Tomb King, so... Mm-hmm. There's one gentleman on Twitter, he, he'd be on the waiting list, and I don't know if he's going to come down... I. If I remember correctly, he's from Canada, I think. It's Primal Fury, if I remember. I'm sorry if I got the name wrong. And Hugh and I were talking on Twitter a while back because he recently had some sort of surgery where he had a chest tube in him, and I went through that with my surgery back in May last year. And so I was kind of joking and ended up saying, hey, come on down to Blood in the Sun. I know there's a waiting list. You know, See if you can get in on that. And he's seemed willing enough, but he's like, but I don't have an army. Like, you can borrow my Chaos Force. I'll let you borrow them. Just, you know, come on down. It'd be fun to have you along. Sure. So I figured out what I'm going to do for my Kadai. Oh my god, Kadai. Well, of course, you got to have a Kadai if you're playing Chaos Force. I don't think you have to, but it's a very obvious, easy choice to make. Right, it's strongly recommended. And this is a piece of Warhammer stuff that I've been having sitting around collecting dust since 2008, which I won at the Anti-GT. And it's the Greater Spined Chaos Beast. Okay. And that's from Forge World, and I think the base size is actually the right size for a Kadai. Because I was kind of considering, excuse me, using it for the Slaughter Brute. Not that I wasn't that interested in using it, actually, for a Slaughter Brute. But it was something I considered. And I said, you know, I could probably convert that to be a Kadai, just add some flames to it, you know, maybe a little bit of armor here and there, just to add a little bit of character to it. But I think I could easily use that as for a Kadai and can finally get some use out of the thing. Sure. Because, you know, you win this, you know, model that's probably worth at least a 100 bucks. I'm willing to guess. Yeah, probably something around there. I'm not sure what it comes in at these days, but... You want to use it, though. Sure. And, you know, I don't want to have to use the Monsters Arcanum every time, because I don't even have that yet. I'd have to order it every time I want to use it. And I, off the top of my head, I think only Invasion Kenosha lets you use it. Uh, we were able to use those at Battle for Big Bull Falls, which was last weekend. Mm-hmm. And we were, I've seen a couple other events where you're allowed to take those now. So you're starting to see a little more popularity with being able to take that kind of stuff. I think Cheddar Bowl, you were allowed to use those. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you were Maybe, there. Or, I think actually, Monsters, Monsters Arcanum wasn't allowed, but anything out of the Tamarcon book was allowed. Okay. Uh, that makes that makes sense, because I know uh, Paul is using his Mammoth. Yep, and now he used, in the, since the Tamarcon rules were used, he was allowed to use it, that. Yeah. So, I mean, 
Oh, it, it's what I've been meaning to use, and having that now that the Warriors are done, you know, once I get past my being burnt on a painting Warhammer for a while, and start, and which is why I was glad to switch to terrain, because it, terrain's a little bit different, it's different enough. But once I get over the being burned out, I can probably start painting the Chaos Wars again, and for if he does go, and I'm going to assume he is until he tells me otherwise, I'm going to get that Kadai ready so he can use it. I also have to paint the steam carriage up. So that's in the works for this summer for Warhammer hobby stuff. Sure, yeah, watch out, though. Bits is coming up pretty quick. Yeah. So since he's using my list, if I don't get the steam carriage done, which is the second choice because it's not even assembled, You'll have to play something different, just because that's what I have. Oh, was there anything else, Chad, you wanted to talk about or chat about? Anything else that's been going on lately, Robert, that you, maybe your fans have missed out on, that haven't heard, because we haven't, like I said, we missed you in the last couple of episodes. Yeah, because I've, I've been busy with life stuff. There is an army that, I guess I'll announce the project officially on this show. All right, let's not overdo it. I'm building my city, people! on rock and roll! We just overdid it. It started when I started doing some conversions for my Warriors of Chaos, actually. I was making my Nurgle Warriors, which you see on person, and a few people have seen, mm-hmm. which had the kind of Cthulhu heads going. Okay. And I really had a lot of fun just converting those ogres. And I still can't find myself to find a list where I want to take Chaos Ogres now that I've done them. Okay. And rather than let all that work go to waste, and the money that I put into the ogres go to waste. I said, you know what would be fun? I'm normally not interested in ogre kingdoms, but if I could do a really cool thing and convert it up and and have a lot of fun with it, I could get myself motivated to make an army for it. So what I've decided to do is an ogre kingdom's army that's completely chaos ogres. Ogre, bandwagon, jumper. Well... (laughs) They're a little late for that one, I think. I don't know. They still seem to be really, really popular. And then one of the ideas I had, and I was discussing this with Evan. He came over one day to play some Star Wars, the X-Wing game. Sure. The idea I had for the, uh, I keep calling them Rhinox Riders, but they're really called Mornfang now. Rhinox Riders. Riders. The, uh, I'm going to take those uh, rot flies from the new okay. demons. And what I'm going to do is... Use them as the rock head, flies because they're awesome? Well, they are. I actually like the models a lot. And I could possibly cross-use them as rock flies, although the base size might be a bit bigger for the demons now. The base, the body of the rock flies, but then where the head is, I'm going to take an ogre body. I, I need to get a, a dremel, is it called? To get rid of the legs. And then almost like a centaur, it'll be coming out of the body. This ogre body coming out of the rock fly body. Okay. And it be this fly ogre centaur thing. Disturbing. I don't know what to call it yet, but I think it's a pretty cool idea. Okay, I, I it sounds just kind of sick and gruesome and nurgly, so yeah, I, I kind of following it. I kind of want to make this army the chaos the chaos ogre army that I'm doing. I kind of want to make it a horror show, just this demonic, twisted, evil, horrific thing that's just violates several laws of nature and a few that we don't know about. <laughs> you know? Sounds like a fun project. It's one that I'm probably not going to be putting on the table for at least a year. 
sure. maybe longer, and I can take my time making it look right. I think I may have finally found that one project that I'm motivated to do that, like, you know, some other infamous painters and hobbyists that we know, you put a couple of years into it to make it look good. Sure. You know, you paint each model like it's a centerpiece by exactly. our, by your and mine standards. Yeah, exactly. I know where you come from. And I, I kind of want to have that kind of army. And I'm feeling very confident now that I've done my Nurgle Wars because, I, as I was saying when I was rambling earlier, I, I think they're my best-looking army to date. I have that confidence from them now to go forward and paint that kind of amazing army that I can field. And I think I'll have fun with that. And it actually makes me interested in playing that army. I, I think that'll be really cool for you to, uh, to have a project like that, and it's something that we all, as gamers and, and Warhammer players, I think all of us deep down, even those of us that play the game, play for the game first, deep down really want to have a project like that, really want to do a project right. But, mm. and we're kind of blessed to have motiv- uh, huge motivators like having a Johnny's army, a uh, Johnny Hastings, or uh, Joe Rogers, or that new demon army of his. Or, and I'd even say uh, Domus in some ways, too, is yeah, the, up there. The Despicable Me RB that Domus and, and showed at the, the team tournament, that was just crazy hilarious. For I haven't seen that one yet. I think it's even up on the Magnificent Bastards blog now. I'll have to take a look at it. That sounds pretty interesting, actually, because I, I really like his stuff, like his wood elves. It was the talk of the team tourney on Friday at right. Adepticon. I mean, even uh, my girlfriend, Melissa, has complimented uh, Domus's wood elves and a couple of the other armies you mentioned, I think. I know she really liked uh, Roger's Wood Elves, actually. Sure. All right. Well, let's go ahead and and wrap this up. And, uh, Robert, it's been good. We'll definitely look forward to having you in studio again, hopefully on the next episode. Yes. Now that the semester's wrapping up and I can finally breathe for a change, it's going to be a lot more likely now that I'd be able to make it up just because I'm not having those kind of pressures right now. All right. Sounds great. Well, thanks, Robert. We'll talk to you later. All right. Take care. Do you want to speed up your games with super accurate measuring and control your dice from flying everywhere? Then Prism Gaming is your place to shop. Do you love beautiful, bold colors and amazing washes with a huge selection of colors? Then Prism Gaming is your place to shop. If you love to game, then you love Prism Gaming. For all of their products and materials, shop www.prismgamer.com. Okay, so the cheese curd, obviously, the, the cheese curd himself, Robert, is not here. He's actually at the... Little uh, Wars. Yeah, Little Wars. Yep, he's at Little Wars. So we're going to go ahead and, and cover cover some slack for him today and do that. So we went out and asked earlier today uh, the Twitter and the Facebook verse if they had some questions they'd like us to answer. And what do you know? They popped on with some, some questions. So we'll do our best to try to answer them. So from David Groves, who's a longtime listener and fan of the show, uh, he asked, I've, he's been asking, he asks, he's been trying to get out of the painting funk and get motivated, motivated to actually start painting again. What helps us to try to get out of the lull and back? 
back to that, get back to the painting table. And once you get the painting, how many minis do we start with in a unit? Does it, do we do a full unit? Do we just do a partial unit? What's our approach to trying to help crack that motivation barrier and get ourselves painting again? Well, you don't know anything about painting <laughs> motivation, do you? <laughs> I, I, my motivation, or at least the, the, the big thing that I've really found for myself is I'm having a hard time getting motivated. Start putting self, self-restricting yourself. Like, okay, I, I quit. I refuse to not put a painted, unpainted model on the table. That, the whole deal with the Conzies challenge has been a huge motivator for me. I mean, I, I honestly think, like my Tomb Kings, I'm, I'm, this is my classic, classic, deal for me is I'll get an army, I'll play it for two or three months, I'll go just go buy an army, put it together, play it for two, three months, not start painting it, take my time painting it, and like after three months I'm just kind of demotivated by the project. They go the way of the beastman. And so yeah, they go the way <laughs> of the beastman and now I have a bo- army it's sitting in a tub that's like 20 models maybe are painted on it. So with the Tomb Kings going into this year with the Conzies Challenge, I haven't been able to play games at, you know, the 2,000 or 2,400 point size tournament type games that I'm, I'm accustomed with E-List because I can't put any unpainted models on the table. I've made that challenge. I've made that restriction to myself. And that's been a huge motivator because now I've got this army like I really want to play it, but I can't. Until it's painted. So yeah, <laughs> until it's painted. And then, so that's really been a motivator to try to get some get to the painting table and get that painting time in. Same with like the bolt action stuff I'm getting into right now. I'm doing World War II Germans in that game. I'm really motivated to get that stuff painted up so that I can actually go play the game instead of just talking about and thinking about playing it. So those are a couple of big motivators that I've been using lately. Um, one of the things that another one big motivator is that for me is that I've been really listening to audiobooks lately. Audiobooks are, you know, I'm really hooked on the the Hollow series, which is like this kind of future, but it's like really not really far into the future, so the technology really hasn't advanced or anything like that. And there was a big, like, genetic virus that ended up being going into, like, tomatoes and killed off a bunch of people, and all of these like vampires and witches and stuff like that weren't affected by the virus. So there was some questions when the humans were trying to figure out why this virus thing was going on. But anyways, long story short, I've been reading this, the, the series is called the hollows. I think it's like 10 or 12 books. Very similar. If you're familiar with like the Dresden files and type of flow and first person storytelling, except it's from a female's perspective rather than a male, than the, the, the male wizards and in, in Dresden Files. I, I, if you like Dresden's, you like The Hollows. It's a, a great series. But I have been, I've been just getting listening to it, and I'm like, I'm book four now, and I'm super stoked to find out what happens next to see where the story goes. So, I, you know, anytime I got an excuse now to just pop on the headphones and listen, whether I'm at home or at work, I'm jumping on it so I could listen to the books and and follow along. Well, that's now. Hey, I'm gonna go, honey. I'm gonna go paint. Yeah, because I can pop on the headphones and listen to the listen to the book while I'm painting. So that's been a motivator too. Um, second part of that question: How many minis in a unit when you're trying to get that motivation back? How many minis you like? Do you start with a whole unit of minis, or do you start with just a few minis? What do you think, Ryan? I definitely start with only a few. I, I don't know. That's definitely the best way to go with me. Like I did those ten archers. I thought that was a little too many, so I cut it down to five on the 
ghouls and that just breaks up the steps enough so you don't get really bored doing the same thing on every single one yeah exactly i i try to uh, i have a real bad problem with painting add or with with anything add really <laughs> uh, where i can only sit down like if i'm editing the podcast or i'm painting or i'm putting models together i'm good for 35 to 45 minutes and then i get really bored and it's just like uh, i don't want to do this so having like two or three projects going on at the same time that i can kind of go from one to the other like okay i'm gonna do some podcast editing for like the next 30 or 40 minutes and then it, you know then I'm going to jump to painting for 30 or 40 minutes. And then I'm going to jump back to maybe some podcast editing followed by some miniatures assembly. And that really helped. Not only does it help break up the flow, but now I'm, I'm not losing my attention span going from one project to the other. I'm, I'm still staying every time I touch it. I'm instead of just kind of sitting at the desk, staring at my models, listening to my audiobook, I'm <laughs> actually doing work, which is a, a big motivator and, and helps get things done. So. Not that I've been terribly motivated lately, but that's what happens when you're at three cons in three weeks, and then you have a week off, and then you're lined up for three tournaments in three weeks. So, <laughs> you know, there there's a, there is a challenge there. But I, the biggest thing that I would tell you is to try to get away from the television and get get away from the the TV and the tube because that's that's kind of a motivation killer. All right, next question from Mikey Ballard. So. Mikey wants to know, is thermite or napalm better for zombie disposal? What do you think, Ryan? Not sure. <laughs> Not sure. <laughs> I don't, I don't do you're, much zombie killing. The, I, I want the zombies to stay alive. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're, you're pro zombie. Pro zombie. You don't, you don't want zombie disposal. Yes. I guess I could like to know which one myself so I can avoid the, <laughs> the one or the other. <laughs> well, personally, I, I, I think, uh, I'm not really authoritative to answer on either of these, but if I'm going to have to do my pick, I'm going to, I'm going to think like a, a pit of shades or a soul stealer is pretty good at wiping out zombies <laughs> in a hurry. Maybe a little dwellers below. <laughs> so, uh, I, I think our answer to that is neither. Next up, Ian Loxham off of Twitter asked us a question. Can I get your opinions on a good tyrant build? To go in an iron gut unit, struggling with trying to figure out which way he wants to go. Um, one of the things I, the ogre tyrant, what is one of the things we know about this guy? Base profile, he's got a pile of wounds at five. He's got a, a, a solid weapon skill at six, I think it is, and a toughness of five and a strength of five. So right off the bat, he comes out of the gate with great stats to attack, to kill things, to not take wounds himself. And that if some some other enemy character targets him out in a challenge, he's got enough wounds to to weather through even the what the best of most characters can dish out in a single round. So how do I then maximize that ogre tyrant to to complement those stats? Well, if I make it harder to hit him, I can take like the glittering scales, making it harder to hit that tyrant. That's always exceptional. I can take Fencer's Blaze on him to get him, bump him up to that weapon skill 10 and also get him an extra attack. The other thing I kind of thought about is a healing potion. Drop a healing potion on him. That way when he does take wounds, he can pop that at the start of the turn, get D6 wounds back. Oh, you know, nothing, nothing worse than your opponent getting excited. He's knocked your tyrant down to like two or three wounds left, you know, left and start of your turn. Boop, healing potion, boop, back up. <laughs> take that. Now I'm going to beat stick you down for a little more. 
I think that's kind of the way I would go with it. So we'll just we'll leave it at that. I know Brian's not real familiar with with ogres, so yeah, I couldn't tell you the last time I've played against them, and I definitely have no clue about playing them myself. Well, you played so. against them at Cheddar Bowl, <laughs> yeah, I guess I did. Now he didn't put his. Now the other thing is, I I don't if I was going to run a tyrant, I would personally I would tell you, you know, if I wouldn't run the tyrant in the iron guts at all. I think I'd do what Alex is doing and put him on a flying carpet. Yeah, it and- seemed to be a popular thing, I guess. It's not really popular. It's something I know Alex is doing. It's kind. Of, it seems a little gimmicky, but it, it gets you. You got that big bad boy tyrant. Then if you can word saint him up, you know, charm shield him, whatever to you know knock away at least that first cannonball at him. You can you know getting him to where you need him is far better than having him locked in a big block that's kind of restricted in its movement to forward and you know some wheels. So I think that, you know, if I was personally going to take a tyrant, that's what I would do rather than putting him in the iron guts. But if I'm going to put him in the iron guts, I'd build him the way we talked about. Next up, Jordan Steinhoff. He's a longtime listener, fan over in Minnesota. And he asks, uh, do you guys assembly line or do you just do one fig at a time? And I think he's referring to painting. Painting again? So we kind of answered that earlier with when we were talking about trying to get motivated with painting. But yeah, definitely it's going to be, we want to do four or five models at a time. And it's not really, I don't know that that's assembly line, but that's, yeah, that's definitely better than, better than doing one at a time when you're painting armies. And I, I just don't have the, like, especially when I start getting, I'm okay. I can do like 10 or 20 models at once when I'm doing like base coats. But as soon as I start getting it down to okay, I'm painting every single little tooth on this model <laughs> for the next for these twenty guys. By the time I get to like model five, I just want to stab myself, and my unfortunately my painting ADD shuts <laughs> off. I can't shut myself off. There's guys out there that can, like David Whitech from Garage Hammer. That dude can shut himself off and paint like tedious stuff for hours at end. I can't do that. I've got to have I've got to have a break in that mental trunge of doing that over and over and over. My mind just I can't do it. So I definitely recommend you know doing four or five models at a time because then you when you're doing like paint mixes and stuff too, you get an opportunity to you know your mix isn't wasted. You know you're not wasting as much paint trying to do that and stuff too. So what do you think, Brian? I definitely agree with that. Speaking of like, I could do it like, yeah, for base coats, like you said, but the detail stuff, five models is pretty much my limit too. I don't know why it drives me crazy just picking out the little things on them. So yeah. And one model would just take, I think one model at a time would take too long. You wouldn't get the best benefit of your time. I don't think switching between a different technique or whatever, not really a technique, but a different step switching that fast like especially if you're mixing paint too i think you get the most benefit of stretching it out over the five guys yeah and and the the other thing i would i would say one model at a time if maybe i'm doing say like a bretonian knight and i'm doing different heraldry on all of the entire army for every model or in something like maybe a single every single ogre or something like that where i'm dealing with a large model and definitely when I'm dealing with, like, say, a monster, then those cases are obviously one-offs where I'm doing a single model rather than uh, a pile of four or five. But, yeah, definitely I, I think the way to go is four or five at a time. Finally, we've got a Jeff Tupper asked a question, um, and this is kind of goes to 
Uh, maybe you haven't seen, but High Elves are due out probably next week, probably sometime after this releases. Um, so they're the next army book that's officially coming out. And Tupper wants to know what's the next book coming out after High Elves. And, I have uh, no clue. That's <laughs> yeah. I I think as as a whole, you know, it's kind of a guessing game. But the, it seems like you have to do a little research earlier today. That the general consensus is that Lizardmen are probably the next army that's due out in two or three months. Early, oh, really? wow. And then very plausibly it's going to be Dark Elves or even maybe Dwarves after that in, like, say, a November release. So we should, huh. you know, that's what's crazy is we've just had three fantasy books basically released this year already, and we're looking at three more yet in, 20, in 2013. So that's going to be a, it's a really good year for getting books out and getting releases. So Apparently. that part's awesome. Unfortunately, that also means um, Dark Elves. Yeah, Dark Elves, I think, in that whole list of books, the only book that I really care about coming out is the Dark Elf one. If they, if that's actually the case, not even the dwarfs. So, what if it makes uh, your if old it's dwarfs it's going to be either Dark Elves or dwarfs? <laughs> it won't be the same. They ain't going to yeah, get both books so. out in this year. So, either one of those, you know, if, if that's the only book that I'm like really super stoked about. I mean, I'm always stoked about seeing the new armies and new tricks and whatever, and then some of the new units and stuff coming out. But that's the that's the only single arm. That's the only thing that the release I'm really excited about. The really the thing that I'm more excited about, rumor wise, is the potential. They're talking potential re-release of Blood Bowl this year. Oh, really? Yeah, they like every year they like to try to do one kind of spin-off game, or like they like they did the the uh, uh, what do they do that ta- the uh, ship game the last year? I don't oh, even remember what yeah. it's called. It's got a copy of it. I've never I've I've popped open the box, looked at it, I'm like ooh, a bunch of cool models. <laughs> uh. Haven't played it, haven't done anything with it. It just sits there, and it, like what most people that ended up getting it actually did with it too. So, <laughs> and and the year before, I can't remember what they did. Space Hulk, that's what they did the that year was before. That. that was a Games Workshop mm-hmm. official release. Yeah, I remember. So that. this, you know, they're trying to do something like that every year, just kind of this shadow release. And there's been a lot of talk that they've redone uh four. Blood Bowl teams and plastics, huh. and that that was part of what was going to be included in this kit. So I'm really excited because I really love I love but we both love Blood yeah, Bowl for sure. And uh, screw it up. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to. I'd love to see it come back. I'd love to see a, an a updated art for the pitch and stuff like that. That'd be. I'm cool. definitely if that's the case. If it's coming out, I'm definitely sold. I I don't care what I got to do to buy it. I'm going to get a copy. So i think that goes ahead those are all our questions we got thanks guys for submitting all your questions and you can go ahead and shoot any future questions you have to uh the cheese curd at whisk at com, or you can go ahead and hit us up on twitter facebook google plus with your cheese curd questions just hashtag anything on twitter hashtag the cheese curd all right so let's go ahead and talk a little bit about adepticon next because you were there because i was there and it, it, <laughs> it it's the biggest miniatures con that you know we're going to have an opportunity to go to so i think i think initially i i really wanted to go down just on saturday and see just check out what was going on in the fantasy hall and and see some of the cool armies and displays and whatever and do a little vendor shopping but a couple weeks before adepticon grant fetter Said, hey, my partner that I was going to go with is not going to be able to get his stuff done. I need a partner in a hurry. Can somebody team up with me? And I'm like, you know, I've been 
going to Grant's house every couple months here to play games at Warhammer and, and I've been getting to know those guys a lot better. So I'm like, I, I, I'm like, Grant, I'll go ahead and step up and be your partner if you want. Let me know what I need to do. And I can have picked up a, a badge and, cause you don't need a badge or anything like that to go to Adepticon and, and just hang out and check stuff out and go shopping that, which is awesome. It's only, you only need a badge to go participate in the tournaments and do the seminars and stuff, which honestly, like seminars, you probably need to be on top of right away. And even some of the tournaments sell out pretty darn quickly, such as the fantasy championships. So went down Thursday night and the weather around here has been prior to Adepticon has been torrential downpours and whatever. And, and it actually the Thursday or the was the Wednesday before Adepticon or the going into that Thursday, Chicago, the Chicagoland area had had like nine inches of rain and it was literally <laughs> flooded, flooded downtown and there was roads closed everywhere. And there was air, there was flights coming into Adepticon that had been canceled and or coming into Chicago that had been canceled into O'Hare because of the flooding and water being on all over the place. And uh, I, I remember watching Twitter and, and looking like, you know, because the Ben Curry and the Bad Dice guys had come over from the UK and they were going to be at Adepticon and they were at Adepticon, but they were like, you know, Ben Curry was like in Indianapolis and he was looking for somebody to help him get to Chicago to Gen Con, <laughs> you know, potentially if his flight didn't fly, he wasn't able to fly. You know, I got there, I didn't have any problems. I took all the interstates and it was, it's all interstate driving from Wisconsin there. I didn't have any problems getting there. But it was kind of sucky when we got there. It was pretty much torrential rain and still raining, still raining and wet and cold and windy and, and whatnot. So they got there. I warmed up real quick with, with a few drinks and, <laughs> and, uh, we were the, I think Ryan Nickel had this game called Drunk Quest. How does that work? Well, it's it's an RPG based off of cards, and the way you defeat monsters is you have to take drinks. <laughs> and all of your other adventurers that are in your party, so everybody's an adventurer and plays like this class and what uh, that they're playing, like this paladin or whatever. Like you would think traditional classes, like you would think in D and D. Sure. And the classes basically have like they can choose to when when it's a player's turn, they flip over a monster. And they ha- they can play a card out of their hand to either make that monster more difficult or less difficult. And so, okay, say it's my turn. I flip over this card. And I got, I, I've got this monster. And it says I have to take four drinks to defeat it. Like, well, I don't want to take four drinks, <laughs> so I'll play six. a card that says it's minus three <laughs> drinks. Oh. Okay, well, then you go around the table, and everybody else can play a card out of their hand or activate their character's ability. Sometimes their character's ability could be draw more cards or make somebody, make a couple people at the table take drinks, whatever it is. Or that could be the card that they play too. Could be something like, okay, just pick two players at the table and make them take drinks. So you, everybody goes around and then it comes back to you who you're fighting this monster and you could end up by the time it gets back to you, you know, in a five or six player game, there could be, okay, well take four drinks at this point <laughs> or take 10 <laughs> drinks, yep. take 12 drinks. Which happened a couple times. I think at one point somebody had to drink like a beer and a half. (laughs) (laughs) So just it was really, really a ton of fun. Really, you know, with four or five players, it turns into a. It's one of my all right top drinking games that I've ever played. That sounds like one I'd want to play. Usually, I'm not much for drinking games, but that sounds pretty cool. (laughs) It was. It was really cool. The cards were like really big. The art was really nice on them. 
So I'm ordering it up, and it'll be at like the next time we have like board game day or something. Or yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely, it'll be a I think a staple favorite at the uh, Derby Ref parties. So we played that, and I got pretty inebriated and hung out with a Johnny and Joe Rogers from Point Hambert showed up or were there, and we hung. I was hanging out with those guys and whatever, and shooting the dickens with them, and I think somehow we ended up back back in the hotel room at like two or three in the morning that night, Thursday night. And the hotel room, I didn't have, you know, I had, since I had, wasn't planning on staying, I had kind of like, granted, kind of hooked me up with a hotel room, which was one of the, one of the rooms the Ohio Hammer guys that Andrew Sherman had gotten, um, part of his block, and there was a mess up with the room, so he was supposed to have these, like, hotel suites, but since the hotel evidently made a mistake, they didn't have any suites, and they just gave him this little bitty room with, like, two beds and a cot, and so there and a chair. So there were six people sleeping <laughs> in this room. Jeez. And somehow out of that I ended up getting a cot. I don't know how. Like I'm the last guy me and Grant are the last guys. No, I know Grant had like had a dedicated bed. Like he was getting actually he didn't even have a dedicated bed. He ended up sleeping in the same bed with another dude. <laughs> and because I mean, we were stacked in there like cordwood. I mean, it's, you know, you think of like a I think it was even it was just a single king bed or really? king or queen bed and then a cot. There were people sleeping on the floor. Like one dude had an air mattress. The other guy was just sleeping on the hard floor. You know, all you know, everybody's stuff or clothes and whatever. That it was kind of a cluster. And and I know Apparently. I know Andrew was kind of upset about how that all went down with the hotel. But evidently, like Friday, they gave him a second hotel room for free or something like that. They're like, okay, well, it's our mistake. We blessed up all your suites. Here's a complimentary room. So somehow they pulled an extra spare room out of their out of the rear for the rest of the weekend and and we're able to hook them up with that at least that's good so yeah the uh next night friday night wasn't nearly as packed we were only i think <laughs> there was four of us in in the room including Ytech and grant and myself and one other gentleman but yeah that was kind of interesting you know trying, trying to manage the showers and you know, obviously the, I had drank a lot of PBR Thursday night as well. So I had PBR problems the next morning. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Went to the team tournament. We got registered. That was a crazy line. You know, 112 teams were playing in that tournament. So that was a crazy line. And I don't know how they pull that off. I know, I know there's a huge staff of guys at Adepticon, but you don't have to submit your lists early and you don't have to do anything. So you're like, you get in your line with your team partner and you have to submit your list. And like somewhere during the first round, they checked 112 player or 112 teams worth of army lists. So 224 Jeez. players worth of army lists. Must have had some amount of staff doing that. <laughs> yeah, there was like, they had a pretty good chunk of staff, but I think there was like three or four guys that were just dedicated to doing army lists. Yeah. That was one thing. Like, if you made a mistake on your list or something like that, you, they'd call your name and they'd ask you to come up to the judges table. You're like, uh-oh. Walk of shame. Now it's the walk of shame now. <laughs> you made a mistake. So we played first game. We played against, uh, Grant was playing ogres and it was, he had like a little small iron gut block and a fire belly and some other stuff. And I was playing my dark elves with two level two uh, shadow, some black guards, some spear elves, some crossbows. No, it wasn't. And I, I had a single hydra. Cause it was how many points was each? 1200 points per team. Okay. Or per player in the team. Yeah. So 2400 points per team. 
And our first matchup was against Dwarves Lizardmen. The Lizardmen was all skinks. Huh. They must add 40 or 50 or 60 poison shots a turn. Yeah. There was a couple of salamanders or something in there too, but it was all skink type stuff. No Saurus, what's, what's, you know, anywhere on the table. And you couldn't field any lords either. That's important to note. You couldn't use any lords in your list. So no slon or anything like that. So just, just skinks. Lots and lots of skinks. And dwarfs, they had five or six artillery pieces. They had a couple of grudge throwers, a cannon, a couple of organ guns. You know, I think there's five artillery pieces and then one big block of dwarfs. So lots of shooting, apparently. Yeah, we're looking at that. We're like, okay, they're just gonna we're we're gonna be done. Like we're gonna just <laughs> gonna concede this game, like turn two, because our stuff's gonna be off the board. Well, we ended up winning first turn, and we went Operation Grill, push it all forward <laughs> as fast as we can. Can't afford, you know, we were like in these. We had like weird unit size units. Like Grant was like, dude, deploy your stuff so it's like too deep and like long as Dickens, because all those like template weapons and stuff that they had the salamanders and stuff oh, sure. will affect you less you know and that you know between that and getting the first turn and their first turn shooting they had a bad a bunch of bad dice rolls and we managed to survive it and next thing you know we're locking up into getting into combat and taking out you don't know, skinks they had so many skinks and we were so wide that they couldn't get around us. So when we charge, it's like, well, if we flee, we're going to double, we're going to end up having a double flee. And then none of our stuff is doing stuff and we're just getting pushed, pushed, pushed back off the board and not doing the shots that we want to do. So they took some of the charges and to try to get themselves some extra shots. And long story short, we ended up actually winning the game. <laughs> going into round one, lunch, we're up one oh, like, uh oh. I guess this means we're going to get somebody that's really knows what they're doing round two. <laughs> we did. Yeah. We did get somebody that really knew what they were doing. And they were playing Warriors of Chaos and Skaven together. <laughs> and one of their kind of little neat things, that the neat tricks that they had was they had a unit of, I think it was six or seven Nurgle Chaos Knights with a exalted hero of chaos on a demonic steed, so on the 50 mil sure. in the center of that, all Mark Nurgle, so minus one to hit. Yuck. So turn one, we're like, Grant and I, again, we're looking at this, we're like, we're going to lose this game. You know, everything is about <laughs> pushing it in the center and controlling as many models or units as far as bonus battle points, about getting in the center too. So we're like, you know, you got to win big and you got to get the bonus points at Adepticon because that's what everything's win-loss draw. And when there's 112 teams in a tournament, what's going to separate the – you know, the chaff from the, the really good ones when you get to those who, who wins is those extra few bonus points that you can pick up here and there. And so we like, okay, well, we need to definitely, we, we're never going to be able to commit to that center really well. So the best thing we can do is maybe we'll get lucky in some charges and whatever. So I'm like, turn one. I'm like, Grant, you know, we're kind of going in this knowing we're going to lose. I'm going to charge. I'm going to try that long charge on those chaos knights with my black guard. I mean, I need to roll a 10 to make it. It's like 15 inches away. Boom. 10. Make the charge. <laughs> now, it's Blackguard. You know, Blackguard versus the Cast Knights. The Blackguard are going to hit them a lot, but I'm only strength four, and I did have the Razor Standard in there. I don't know. Actually, I, mean, I, I had armor piercing. I had one of the, I did one of the armor piercing banners in there anyways. You ended up getting I don't think it was a Razor one. So, yeah, I mind razored them. <laughs> and then I deleted all the Knights. And this was actually going to look bad because then he could flank charge me with a Chaos Chariot, which wouldn't have been horrible because the Blackguard are stubborn, but I would have knocked out a bunch of Blackguard and whatever. Uh -huh. 
But if I hold, but if I, but if he holds, if after I stick, he's still got that chaos, that exalted chaos hero. If he sticks and holds for a round, I have Mind Razor up on their combat phase. Now he's gonna need Snake Eyes, and he doesn't have the Stubborn Crown or anything like that on that. What do you know? He rolls Snake Eyes. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> like that's like the best thing like for the us. Like time you wouldn't want it to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Best thing for us. Now I don't have to worry about getting flank charged by a chariot. Now I can butcher him at my leisure. Now I can walk around and try to position myself to get in late in the game and do something with these blackguard. Cause it, you know, at that point they were kind of way out on the flank and was going to take a couple of turns to walk to where they needed to be to be able to affect the game again. Meanwhile, the, the other cool little thing that they had going on in their list, or the th- cool thing that they had going on in their list rather than the cool thing that really happened for me in that game was that they had this dragon ogre block and they had one of the things the dragon ogres gets if they they get hit or whether they get shot at with a they get hit with a lightning attack they get frenzy oh really so and then they get like a two plus ward save against lightning attacks or whatever like so they had a doom wheel oh, okay. and the doom wheel has to sh- target the nearest unit friend or foe oh really and it's lightning attack so <laughs> they would for his turn they'd run the doom wheel right next to the dragon ogres Dragon Orgers never take any damage because they got their two up wards against it. Uh-huh. And the Dragon Orgers get frenzied. Well, I have five, funny. and it was five Dragon Orgers in that unit. So you're like five frenzied Dragon Orgers. It's like, no way we have anything in our list to take that down. <laughs> but, uh, we, so we plugged it up and stalled it, like, for, I think we got through four rounds in that, in that game, though. And that's kind of the saving grace. The only reason we ended up winning this game, if this game goes one more turn, Grant's army is basically taken off the board completely, and I lose my spear elf block with my all my wizards be gone, unless I had just a crazy amazing flea roll. So, so the round ended and round saved you. Call, time called saved us. We got the win. Lucky. Yep, that's exactly <laughs> what it was. It was extreme luck. So we go into round three. We're up two wins, and we take on. Uh, Chris Yu and his partner. Chris Yu's one of the hosts of Garage Hammer. And we're like, okay, this is kind of cool. It's kind of like, yeah, we're going to an Adepticon. We don't really necessarily want to play against the same locals, but this is kind of cool kind of way to end the team tournament no matter what because we're going to get to play against guys we know. We know this is going to be a fun game. We know there's, you know, we're going to be able to settle rules, disputes kind of, you know, amicably. That was one of the things, one of the reasons that our second round game took a little longer than it probably should have is that, uh, there we got, there was some heated discussion on a couple of rules questions. Nothing like out of the ordinary that I think you'd see at a tournament, but, but it was, you know, there were some things that we, you know, they weren't maybe as clear on or that Grant was like, I don't want to do it this way because that's sloppy kind of play and it should really, you know, he was getting, you know, he's, he was very serious about making sure stuff's positioned correctly. Hmm. And, uh, so we, so that had drawn out that game is why we only got through four turns. Uh, but going into the round three, it was like, okay, this is kind of a relax. We're going to be relaxed and calm about this game because this is, this is like playing, this is a game like we could have played, you know, any given, you know, Saturday, you know, so we, uh, that was, it ended up being, that was our loss. We ended up losing that game and it was, uh, Chris was playing his very defensive shooty orcs and goblins list and teamed up with vampire counts and they had like three spirit hosts. And the spirit hosts were really tough for us to deal with because I had two shadow wizards, so there's no direct damage spells really there at all. We had one firebelly who had a single firebell or fireball <laughs> spell, and then we had no, 
you know, no magical attacks, no magic weapons anywhere else pretty much in the list. I think he, I think he might have had a magic weapon on his BSB. That was it. So three spirit hosts were kind of a challenge for us and they kind of dictated some of our movement. But, uh, I think the, I think the thing that lost this game was a movement of my own. And there was a, he moved a spirit host up into the way of a hydra. So the only thing the hydra could do was either charge the spirit host or walk around it. So I walked around it. My move was kind of sloppy. So I ended up being where there was just enough space for the spirit host to get still slip back in on their turn in between the Hydra and the war machine that I wanted, I wanted to charge. And if I would have moved it a little more cleanly, I could have, st- I could have filled that gap and the spirit host wouldn't have been able to get there. And then I would have been able to charge that war machine on our turn and that would have cascaded into their their big savage orc block. I might have been able to take down, you know, or at least pin that savage orc block in place. So then we could have brought like our ogres into it. Plus, we would have taken down an additional war machine because Grant or Chris had, I don't know, five or six or seven bolt or war machines on the board. Jeez. It was pretty crazy. I think he had two, uh, one, if not two, doom divers and some rock lavas and spear chuckas. It was just it was a even even the Savage Orc Horde, which was the only thing he had in the unit, or the only unit he had, a, a block troops, really. And the Savage Orc Horde had bows and not, you know, <laughs> yeah. on top of that, too. So it was all it was all about he really sold into the shooting aspect with his, with his ONG. So it was, it was cool to play against it, too, because I'd never played against, like, an all-shooty Orcs and Goblins army like that Yeah, I've before. never seen that. It's something I've thought about doing for quite a while, but I never really done it yet. Uh-huh. So, but it, it definitely looked cool and it worked pretty well. Just kind of, I, I don't know, a lot of denial type s- stuff that you do with it though, to, that maybe some players don't think are as much fun, but I, we had a great game. It was a blast. Very plausibly my best game of the tournament was cool. that game. So, um, so we went two and one, which was way far more successful, I think, than Grant or I expected to go. But a lot of fun, great tournament, lots, I couldn't have said more, uh, well run. The Adepticon guys, they did a good job. And one of my big fears about Adepticon is that since it's, you know, I, I'm used to the Midwest no comp environment, but Midwest no comp is a lot different than a no comp tournament. Um, cause Midwest no comp, we pretty much all know each other. Uh-huh. So, you know, there's a little bit of that peer pressure and whatever that, like, nobody really takes the super hard-nosed tough or, or takes, like, the complete internet list builds. Or maybe a couple guys do, but those guys aren't necessarily the top-tier players. Uh-huh. There's a lot, there's almost a, a self-comping aspect to, to our tournament scene. And Adepticon is, you know, you get so many people that are coming from far on the East Coast, far on the West Coast, you know, around the world that don't necessarily understand our Midwest scene coming to our uncomped environment that are just bringing the just bringing the super filth and just there to smash face (laughs) and i and i've heard about them being there before i've heard about players having bad games at adepticon that was that would is something that would have really soured me and i certainly we didn't play against anything that was a soft list by any means but we didn't play against anything that was like way so over the top that we didn't you know that wasn't completely within our realms of being able to do something against or beat Uh uh-huh and and I had a great time, and I'm really looking forward to coming back to Adepticon next year. And I would strongly recommend anybody to do the team tournament. Uh, that that because that was just loads of fun. That was a great. That was just awesome. Okay, I kind of been talking long enough, and uh, 
you haven't had a lot to say because obviously it was my experience. Yep. Yep. So let's go <laughs> ahead and take a break. What what what's that place? The last the last circle? The the last triangle? No wait, the last square. That's what it is. The last square located on O'Dana Road. Have you been there? Yeah. Yeah, they have the huge selection of miniatures, everything from five millimeter scale all the way up to twenty five, twenty eight, everything you could imagine. Yeah, it's the basically the war game store of Madison, Wisconsin, with every war gaming need you can just about imagine or think you wanted, and a lot of things you didn't even know you wanted. Exactly. They also have model railroads and rockets. All sorts of good stuff for the geek in ya. All right. And if you can't get to the square, you can always check them out on their website, thelastsquare.com. Exactly. Hey, and we're back. And I've been joined by Mike Ballard, who is one of the organizers for the Battle for Big Bow Falls that I was just at this last weekend. Hi, Mike. How you doing? Doing good. Yourself? We're not doing too bad, actually. It's Thursday Hi. evening, uh, May 9th, and, you know, I'm kind of getting over the, the s- stern beatings that I took at Battle for Big Bow Falls, and... uh <laughs> Let's let's uh, talk a little bit about how that went and and how the is this the first tournament you've run or what the, what was the deal? This is the first large tournament I've run. I've run some smaller tournaments at like eight people or so. Sure. Nothing too, but this is the first big and more organized that I've ran. Okay, so Battle for Big Bull Falls was just uh, the one day, three rounds, twenty five hundred points with some funky army list rules. Which ended up seeing, so I, I played against, uh, at least one army that had taken advantage of that with the uh, Warriors of Chaos with some Beasts of Chaos or Beastmen added to it, which was also my only win <laughs> on dumb well, luck. I would say about a third of the list took advantage of the funky rules and got something different. Usually as a unit of allies, you just one little bit of thing to shore up the mistakes in their army. Sure. Um, I was kind of hoping to see a little bit more monsters in play. I think only one person took an additional monster and it was just a giant. Yeah. I thought about it, but I didn't, I don't own any of the funky Forge World type stuff, so I was like, uh, I'm not gonna throw it in this list. And I, overall, I was very happy with the way, I mean, I was playing Dark Elves for the weekend, so it's kinda hard to find major flaws in that, and, and getting like big monsters really doesn't fix most of the flaws, cause, why would I want to take monsters out of that when I've got 175-point Hydras? Exactly, and the Hydra in Storm Magic is probably worse, actually. It's, it's appropriately costed, even though it has probably one of the coolest range attacks in all of Warhammer. Sure, I don't remember what that is, but then again, that would require me to open up my Storm of Magic book and actually look at it. Well, there's a 15-point upgrade. You'd lose the Breath Weapon. But you gain a ranged attack of 18 inches, and it fires at numbers of hits and number of wounds that is left on the model. So it's five, automatic five strength five hits on any, on any unit within 18 inches. That's definitely serious chaff removal. I, I kind of well, like that. I'm not sure if I like it enough to give up the breath weapon, but I like it. I put that in the ringer army, and they really thought it was a very useful at clearing away any small unit very quickly. All right, so... Start out battle for Big Bull Falls. When we, when you started out on Saturday, did was there somebody there that you thought was going to be like, yeah, this guy is going to be our definite winner, or this guy's going to be 
uh, stronger. Was there, you know, going in, did you see anybody that you kind of like, yeah, this guy's kind of got the inside track or, or was, wow, this guy's really got something that's outstanding that I hadn't seen before as far as models or maybe, uh, uh, army that was on the board? Well, I saw a couple armies that looked really good um, when I was looking at all the army lists going in. Johnny Hastings list with a level 4 beast and a level 4 death instead of a beast lord looked really mean on paper. Sure. And then, well, your dark elf army and William Dixon, his dark elf army, both looked really good. Both dark elf armies looked solid. Yeah, I, I felt like my list was solid. I think there was a, a couple of spots where it was close. It was clo- both of my losses. It was really, really close. So yeah, I, I and I, they were both really tough, really good, both good players and and tough matchups for my list to be able to take on. So I was really happy with the way it performed. And also Matt Herbold's Cast Dwarf Army. Um, having played it against it a couple of weeks ago and then saw the changes that he made to it, also looked really tough. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to play against his cast dwarfs, and uh, I, I'm definitely excited to because he's one of the guys that are actually toting around actual the, the real Forge World cast dwarfs, and I, I'm kind of partial now to I, I just want to see actual Forge World cast dwarfs on the table. I really like him, and I like his hobgoblin that he has done as well. Yep, no, it's a really really cool army. So we went in round one. I played against, uh, Quentin Fisher, I think it is. Uh, Correct. Yeah, and he was doing the Warriors Beasts Army, and this game was really fun. I really had a good time playing this game. We had a few rules, kind of quandaries. I think a couple times Quentin was trying to pull the eye, well, over my eyes. He'd kind of admit after, after we worked out a rule, he'd be like, oh, yeah, that's, I, that's the way it actually works. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know. Kind of thing, whereas going into it, he kind of argued it a little tough, but not, not a big deal. We got through it all okay. And, uh, the, this game was really turn two. He dimensional cascaded his uber level four demon prince of doom after just failing a charge roll. I think he needed an eight on a charge roll and rolled like a three or something like that and ended up, you know, the next, you know, that magic phase losing it, you know, losing his demon prince and, that was where the I think the fat lady kind of sang and and then I was able to take really good advantage of that and and just kind of demolish the rest of his army. So, but otherwise, if that demon prince would have been alive, man, I I was unprepared having not played against the demon prince very often for no, taking on that kind solid. of thing. So that was my round one. Uh, now you had. Uh, you were obviously running things, but maybe you had a pers- you got to see some of the other games that were going on. What else? Do you remember anything that went on really cool during round one that struck a chord and that you might remember? No, I did not. Round one, I was kind of busy set- getting everything ready for lunch. Ah, uh, the, the busy lunch lunch menu. And this is, I got to say, of the lunches I, that we don't go have. That's one of the things I hear about, like in the UK circuit. You know, the UK tournaments and some of the other tournaments around the world. I hear a lot about lunches being included or, and, or food, you know, food being included or, or being easily, you know, the venue food. This, we were playing at REO, our REO, yeah, REO Speedwagon. No, no, our ROE games in Schofield, Wisconsin. And that's just a, it's just a game store. So there's, you know, there's lots of food nearby, but instead you, you took out, you went to the, went out of your way and did a smoked pork butt. 
and all the fixings. And wow, I've got to say that was possibly the most amazing lunch I've had at at a venue that def or at a tournament. And that definitely tops the you know like my I do brats for mayhem. That definitely topped that by leaps and bounds. That was so amazing. I don't think I heard one complaint from anyone about the food. It was just crazy amazing. Yeah, I was surprised at how well it went over. Um, I think the banana cream pie was not a hit, or there's just other desserts that looked better, but I didn't make the desserts. I didn't even know what, the, what it was until I tried it myself. They were still okay. I, I didn't have any problem with any of the food that was there. It was just crazy outstanding. I was floored by how good that pork roast came, pork buck came out. I know I was talking to you at the at the tournament, like, you know, I've had a lot of people where they said, yeah, we're going to smoke a pork roast, or we're going to smoke a pork butt, or whatever. And it's been like, it's okay, it's good. I mean, it, I'm not complaining. Anything that's smoked meat, smoked meat, it's still good. But that was just, it was like perfectly seasoned. It was obvious somebody took the time to season it before they put it on the smoker, and that they it was cooked with so much love, and it tasted, oh my goodness. Well, thank you. That was one of the big things that when Carlo and I were putting together the organization is that out of any events that I've been to, I think that the in-house food just, you know, sometimes people feel rushed having to run out and get food and everything in between rounds. And bringing food to the venue was definitely had to be done in my eyes. Yeah, and I, it, it worked out perfectly. It was a great, uh, great to have it there. And it did, it did. I thought from, uh, event standpoint that really helped make things flow better because then you didn't have a bunch of people running running off the running out of the venue or whatever they were everybody was still there so it was easy to wrap get everybody back together and get them going right away on round two yeah i think everybody was actually waiting around that round two probably could have started a whole 15 minutes earlier yeah probably I was busy I, myself but it was kind of nice just to be able to relax you know after that and and talk a little bit and hang out with with the guys that were there, and from from a from the gameplay from a player perspective. So I didn't mind at all having that little extra time, just kind of kicking back and relaxing. It was it was nice to have something you don't always get, especially during a lunch break at a at a one day tournament, because you're you're having to run off off site to get lunch and stuff, and you don't have the time to sit down and just you know chat with your with your bros and see what's going on. Exactly. Now I. Since this is a larger tournament for you, how did the paint judging go? I, I think that yeah, there was a little bit of a challenge trying. I, I think maybe you found getting the paint judging done during the lunch hour, which is I, I know I'm personally a big kind of person for please judge my army when it's fully set up and right and displayed. Don't judge my army when it's being played because you're not getting the whole look of the army. You're not getting all of the units on the trays the way I built it and painted it and, and intended it to look. So I, I know you guys didn't, I don't, I'm pretty sure you didn't get through all of the paint judging there on during lunch hour. So how do you feel that went? Well, um, the two guys I had doing paint judging, um, we wanted to go ahead and do a situation where they would go ahead and both guys would, judge scores and then they'd be averaged sure um and one guy he's done some paint judging before um brian he does a lot of 40k tournaments a lot more than fantasy tournaments and he's won a few awards because his great nights are pretty phenomenal looking um and carlos never judged painting before and so i don't think they were very practiced at it it's kind of a new thing for both of them um, to try to go through and do it, and not all armies were labeled, so I, they would write down like a description, and I'd have to figure that out. Mm-hmm. 
And I think about half of the armies got judged during lunch, and I just went around and let people know whose armies need to be set back up after round two so they could finish. And that was great. I, I did catch you kind of doing that. It was great. And I, I know while my army was not one of them that needed to be, it was very much appreciated that you took, that you kind of pointed out to those guys that, hey, make sure your army's set up. We want to make sure that we judge your army fairly on this paint judging. We want to make sure it's the way you want us to see it, not, okay, I'm going to look at a few models while you're playing the game and, Oh, those just happen to be third or fourth, you know, third or fourth rank guys. So maybe you slouched a little bit on your painting on those guys. So too bad, too sad. And then we moved on. And I, I feel like I've had that happen to me at other events personally. Not that, you know, I'm some kind of rocket scientist painter, but it does kind of give me all grr inside. Yep. I understand. I felt the same way. It's that same situation has happened to me before an event too. I'm, I'm playing, and here comes the judges right alongside me as I'm during the game, which, of course, adds a little bit of extra anxiety and whatever. But Definitely another thing that I felt the organization of this event, and I wanted to make sure that you got that feedback. So really well done, and really, really very much, from my perspective, very much appreciated. Now, moving on, we got into round two, and that was a bunch of fun. I got to play against uh, Joe Rogers. Okay. And Joe was playing his demons that he took to the South Coast GT. That is, if you've been listening to Point Hammered, you've heard him, you know, spending countless hours throughout the last month and a half, two months, getting this army from basically some conversions and some models built to built, painted, and off to the UK. And it was probably the best game I had all day. I gotta say, I was, well, I've never beaten Joe, and that still holds true. This was probably the closest I've ever come to actually locking in a win. And I think while I, I very much misdeployed myself on my left flank and left a bunch of my soft, chaffy, shooty units there unsupported without any support to kind of combat block them and, and keep them safe, I did lose this game, though, on a double uh, – on a, Rolled two sixes on a pendant save while my dread, my unkillable dreadlord build was taking on Papa Nurgle. And, oh, that's brutal. And in that same combat phase, I'd already knocked down three wounds on him. So it was looking very good for me. And then those two sixes, I, I took three wounds, or I failed three of the armor saves, had to roll three, ar- three, uh, the pendant ward saves, two sixes and like a three or something like that. And that was just kind of heart-shattering. All I had to do was have him survive probably that round of combat, and I was in great shape. Well, his list is pretty sharp. And I it think was. He, he added those two level twos of metal based upon my experiences and feedback I gave him for running a very heavy Zinch list yeah. in my practice games. The he other, said they were well worth it. The other thing that I caught me completely off guard, and I mean, it's partially—I think it was the first time I saw him on the table—was those plague drones were just ridiculously strong for what I, I, I guess I probably should have anticipated that, but they felt like they hit just as hard or nearly as hard as any monstrous cav out there on the uh, on the table right now. So, yeah, yeah was, I, I agree. They're just not as fast as them because they got that hover rule, so they can't march. True, but you get that, I mean, that first turn is always like, you kind of float them up and you want to keep your opponent at a kicking distance. So I don't think that was too bad because you're still 10 inches added onto your moves or your charge move is really strong. So 
they were right up in the, I, I think they moved as far as he, if he would have been able to fly, they would have moved as far as he was going to move them either way. So I don't think that really bit him too much, especially since I think he had four of them in the yeah, list. So. so really surprising unit. I, I thought it was very much, much better than, than I had originally thought it was going to be. And it was a big reason why I kind of got demolished on that left flank was that unit. Single-handedly, pretty much. Yeah, they're pretty tough. So, what else? Did you catch anything? Now Now you've probably had maybe a little bit of time to kind of get up and socialize. Was there? Did you have a chance to catch any of the second-round games? Yeah, I watched a couple of the games. Um, There's two tables in a row in the expansion room where there was... Each table had two giants rampaging on it, and it was like giants gone wild. Like, every <laughs> combat they hit, hit, the giants were winning all like two games in a row. That's cool. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. I think it was out of both those tables I watched pretty much close to the end, but everybody had their giants still rampaging. I was kind of <laughs> impressed because giants are usually looked upon as a strong monster. I think giants have gotten a bit stronger, though, now that the meta has switched more and more to this kind of monster-heavy meta because they are really strong. If you can get them into an opposing monster... They are still, what, I think they're still Initiative 3, which is faster than a lot of monsters. And they do a pretty darn good job at smashing monsters with a headbutt or with a swing with club or whatever, you know, even a yelling ball. That's very, very good things the Giant can do against those monsters to kind of shut them down and keep them from doing things. And even if you get them into combat with something, I found, like, I've been running two Giants with my... Night goblins at like 24, 2500 points a bit lately. And that, those two giants seem really strong for that list because they give you something that I don't necessarily have with the rest of the night goblins, but also you, you just tag team them, tag team them up with a target, a little bit of target saturation. They can really, really still get alive and get to your intended target. Even against infantry blocks, you start getting a, well, I swung with clubs. So I do D6 auto wounds or auto hits there. And then I do a Thunderstops, another D6 auto hits. Well, there was enough extra combat res to, I win combat, and I'm still toughness five, so if you're strength three, it's tough to wound me. Yeah, I agree. I think the Giants, I was surprised to see that much Giant rampaging. I was really pleased. I, t- I took double Giants to Wapaka too, and I was real pleased with how they turned out. So I'm good to, he- I'm glad to hear those guys are coming back to the table. I still think they're a little overpointed, but they're, they're fun. Uh, I, something that's one of the unique, fun kind of options for both players when when a giant hits the board. I agree. All right, uh, we went ahead and had a little break here. I think paint judging finished up. Rapidly running in scores into the spreadsheet and we're trying to make sure things are going well. And we got into round three, and round three was a lot of fun. I, I ended up playing against Skaven. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Literally, I, I will never remember his name. I will just—he will just be Skaven. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, I had called him that. He played in our Escalation League last year, and okay. he was on a tear, just winning people. So we just called him Skaven, and then whatever, pretty much the entire time, because he had just rampaged through everybody. Till we hit, I think, I think it was like close to 2,000 points, and then he started getting beat finally. Yeah, he, he had a tough build, the double A-bombs and the rocket and whatever. It was you know, almost all the tricks. He didn't have any warp lightning cannons, which I was kind of, I was 
actually happier to see no warp lightning cannons in this list than I was to see the double A bombs. It didn't bother me nearly as much and it was the bloodiest game. We both just lost stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks of models. Unfortunately, when both players are losing T stacks of T3 models, he ended up having more T3 models at the end of the game to still do stuff with, and I didn't. So he got the edge on me by just sheer numbers, and that's... I think I killed something like... I don't know how many rats he had, but I, I think I killed like 150, 200 rats in that game. It was crazy. That's a lot of rats. There were a lot of rats on the board. That was a good time. Now, hopefully here you had a little bit more of a chance to walk around the tables and see what else was going on in round three. I got a chance to walk through a couple different tables that was going on. Came down and watched Mike Butcher's game a good bit. And then I went up to table one where Joe Rogers and Quentin Woodward were playing pretty regularly. There was a lot of good games on tables one through and three that were all nice and close. That's really cool. That's really good when those tables are. I mean, and at that point in the tournament, I think those those games should be. I know Johnny was up there, pretty close to the top, one of the on one of those tables, and yep, he's playing the other dark elf player there. And I don't know who else was up on those tables, but I know it wasn't me. So I think it was Matt J. Jack was on table three playing against. Wow, that's that's impressive. Um, Jared Schrader. Ah, uh, yeah, you don't see Matt usually up there on those tables, so that's kind of, that's a good thing to see. So he had won one of the Giants Gone Wild games and moved his way up. <laughs> uh, that's, that's great. Um, so we got, went ahead and got through round three, and obviously now you get everything tallied up, we get everybody back together, and we go ahead and announce the winners. So who were the, who won stuff here? Well, Jason Welker won best terrain. And he won a hot wire foam cutter, which was kind of interesting because he had chosen a different version of a hot wire foam cutter in our Escalation League last year for a prize. Okay. So I guess he's going to be building a lot of terrain, or at least hopefully he will be. He's got um, all the tools now. Yeah, exactly. Jared Schrader, for his undead Bretonian vampire count army, took home a nice pound of epoxy sculpt. That was best appearance? Best conversion. Best had, conversion, okay. Yeah, we wanted to hand out a word to something we thought was uh, pretty good conversions, and there was quite a bit of stuff there, too. So it was a pretty close on that one. And then what, then we handed out a Best Sportsman Award to uh, William Dixon, the other Dark Elf player. I didn't get a good chance to see his list, but it seemed like he had a lot of speed in it, from what I could tell. Yeah, he had a really aggressive list. He was one of only two people that all three of his... Uh, opponents named him as the best opponent of the day. That's really cool. That, that means you're doing the right thing, especially when you're playing Dark Elves, because people kind of frown on Dark Elf players, I think. Yeah, and he won, and he also submitted his list on time, which was the reason why he won. I should have got on that. Yeah, that's, there's a lot of people who did it. And then Mike Butcher with his converted Nurgle Demons, which are pretty impressive looking, took best appearance. Really cool. Johnny Hastings took best general. Slippery and, eel. Oh, his list looked tough on paper, and it ended up being tough. Okay. And Joe Rogers took top award, the overall champion. That's another slippery eel. Yes. I, I feel I feel responsible for that con contributing with my dice in such a way. I, I would I would note from for uh, the record, I was using point hammer dice during oh, that game too. So that probably figures, explains it. 
It figures the luck of the Raj would stab me right in the deck when, back when I'm using point hammer dice, so. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of impressive seeing some of the stuff that went on on that table. That Grand Queen one ended up taking out four Mornfang, which yeah. I thought would have been a harder matchup for it to walk away from. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think the Mornfang should struggle a little bit to hit the Great Unclean one, so if you can endure, if you know, if you get a little bit lucky on not getting hit, He's got, what, strength six? That should kill Mornfang at least slowly. You should definitely get the attrition war there, and eventually even maybe, I mean, they're not a great leadership. You should get a, a break out of them. Well, I figured that, but you're also going to get three Mornfang worth of impact hits going in as well. It should help with that. Should have. You get a little luck of the Raj, then you just kind get of assume that doesn't work. Nine. <laughs> exactly. That's probably what happened. Who knows? Alright, so what, was there anything that you came away from Battle for Bigfoot Falls about that you're really happy about? You're gonna take into next year and make sure, I mean obviously you're gonna smoke some more pork butt or some crazy awesome food, but. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm gonna do that again. That was just, as far as the amount of work I put into the food for the result that I got, it was pretty easy. I probably would do the shopping instead of, uh, two days before, do it a week before. Uh, so I'm not running around at the end. Sure. Uh, that's probably one thing I would do a little differently as far as that. The big thing I want to do next year is try to actually really get involved with more and more sponsors. Um, okay. So we get more items for the charity raffle. We did end up raising $215 for the Michael J. Fox Foundation, which I thought was pretty cool. But I want to do more as far as that goes and get better prizes through sponsorship. Yeah, and uh, I gotta say, I don't think anybody complained about any of the prizes. Nobody thought there was bad prizes, or the the raffle had a ton of stuff in it. I, I, I wish I would have been able to do more for it than I than I did. Uh, it was really nice and, to see all that, and, I, and it does always blow my mind when we see all of these tournaments that we're we have going on around, and all of them doing charity and and coming up with these crazy piles of stuff that we're giving away in these charity raffles. So. I really feel glad about that. Yeah, I do too. I think that's one of the things I'm to work on, and I want to work on a couple more tables with the terrain for next year as well. Yeah, I always find that that's, that's always the ongoing project, and the ongoing battle is, is somewhere between making new tables of terrain and, and making the tables that I have just that much better to make them a little bit more outstanding and finding ways to be able to then keep those tables around so I have to do minimal work in upcoming years to maintain them and make them even keep them up. I agree. I'm working on some snow themed terrain for my next table now. That sounds cool. And I think one piece is going to be my piece I bring to Blood in the Sun. Yeah, I got to find figure out what I'm going to do for that. I still really haven't locked down my project yet and I'm running out of time to figure it out. You had any hints or ideas for what that might be or what I should do? Well, they have some, it's gotta be a water feature. I was looking at the guides that Grant set around, and I've never played around with a lot of the water products other than, I guess it's the Woodland Scenics, uh, realistic water effect. And it's really good for building up layers of stuff, unless you're trying to put detail into it. So I gotta figure out something that's gonna let me put some detail onto some things for some ripples and whatnot. Yeah, I kind of been playing with this, like, Try to do maybe a waterfall type kind of thing, even if I'm not sure if I'm going to do that exactly now or what I'm going to do. So I've really been struggling with coming up with an idea that I want to do. 
and then I'll be able to incorporate into like say my mayhem tables and stuff so I can use it going forward. And I think I honestly think the way things have kind of been talking and a few of the people I've talked to that this is going to steep up this year for Blood in the Sun to be a real interesting terrain competition that I think there's going to be some people that are actually stepping up to the to the bat and really going to put it some hopefully some out of the park kind of projects together. Well, I kind of think that too. I think that uh, has a lot to do with people not having a whole lot of experience with water effect type of materials. And some people have excellent experience with that work. And so I think the pieces are going to be that much stunning. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be that's definitely blood in the sun on my radar for something. I think there's going to be some really cool stuff coming out of the, out of it this year. So I'm excited. I'm really pumped for that. Yeah, it's, that's definitely two of us on that one. I really enjoyed that event last year, and I'm, I'm thinking this year's going to be just as good. All right, so do we have? I, I imagine at this point we don't have a date or anything set for Battle for Big Bull Falls next year. But if there's one thing you can tell our listeners that they want to, why do they want to come to Battle for Big Bull Falls next year? Well, for one, you're not going to have a tournament that's going to cater better food around. I will completely agree there. And I think the second thing that we um, we did really well is that we had a really excellent venue, and they had plenty of other support and plenty of good food and everything else there. Plenty of soda and monster for those guys. Yeah, I think they did a great job of, of keeping a good, clean venue there. We've talked about ROE. They're, they're, that's my boys from Prism Gaming that run that and have that store. So it's a great facility. It does a great job of keeping it clean and, and trying to keep people interested in going to the store. So I'm glad to see you guys actually playing down there and organizing a tournament and i'll definitely i'm definitely on board with being there next year and hopefully uh we'll have just as good a crowd if not even bigger for next year so keep your eyes out for this one on your radar and, and it's a great one day event it was a lot of fun and well run well run thank you very much mike thanks ben all right well let's go ahead and take a break here and when we come back we'll talk a little more warhammer are you tired of playing the same group of guys in your basement every week Check out the WWHFB, Wisconsin Warhammer Fantasy Battles League. Check it out at WWHFB.com with regions in Madison, Milwaukee, Stevens, Point, and La Crosse. Anywhere in Wisconsin, you're going to find somebody to play. WWHFB.com, Wisconsin Warhammer Fantasy Battles League. Okay, on today's Conzie's Diary, first off, we'll go ahead and notice that I'm here by myself finishing up the show, so we want to go ahead and just, on today's Conzie's Diary, we're going to go ahead, we had a feedback contest running, we got a lot of very quality, very excellent feedback from our, from you guys, it really helps us analyze and figure out what we need to do a little bit better or shape up with our new hosts. So I appreciate it so much. It was very much useful in helping us kind of shape and do some things and to help us kind of gauge where things are. We're still kind of figuring out where everybody kind of fits in, what their expertises are, and how we're going to kind of gel everything together. But, again, really appreciate it. Thank you for all your support and, and, and feedback. It was amazing. So let's go ahead and get on to the more important thing. The thing you guys want to hear is 
who were our winners for the feedback contest. This was for feedback we were looking for through episodes 30, 31, and 32, uh, which were uh, all, I think, really good episodes of the show, but it was, you know, definitely something that was not maybe something that had that same gel as maybe Paul and I had, so we wanted to hear what you guys had to think. So let's go ahead and announce our winners. It was first off for the two boxes of Vampire Counts Skeletons. Mr. Jordan Steinhoff, thank you very much. It was great reading, reading your feedback and we went ahead and, and you got the, uh, the win. Now I want to note here too that with our second winner, uh, again, we went ahead and, and did the random.org number selection with a number of remaining contestants and we generated up Dwayne Truant. So, Dwayne, you're going to go ahead and get a... Robert had said he was going to throw in a uh, custom objective marker that he was going to make for you. So, uh, Dwayne and, and Jordan, thanks a lot for getting your feedback in. Thanks to everybody. It was really helpful. We tried. I tried to reply back to everybody that sent in feedback and make sure that that feedback got shared with everybody else on the show. If you have any problems or don't hear any from us... Uh, haven't heard from us by the time you listen to the show, please shoot into hosts at whiskwoodice.com and let us know. Uh, otherwise, thanks a lot, everybody, from your feedback. Uh, thanks to our winners, and I apologize that everybody else couldn't be a winner, but I hope that uh, you got a good feel for uh, some things that were coming and things that maybe you heard then because it changed as we released 33 and 34 here. It's this episode and going forth, so... Big changes, big things that are happening. Really appreciate all of your help for everything you guys have done to support this show. Thank you. Much different Conzie's rant than usual there, actually. Very, very positive, very happy. So I'm glad and really want to thank you all for everything you do for us. Next up, I don't think at any point we really got into thanking our show sponsors for Wisco Dice. So I want to go ahead and just thank all of those guys for everything that they do for us. I want to go ahead and start with Prism Gaming. Prism Gaming has been with us since last year in August, and they've just been great to work with and, and help us out with. If you want to go ahead and you know check their website out, prism-gamer.com. Lots of stuff. There's like over 70 colors and paints. I use the stuff quite a bit. I'm mixing it in with with Reaper and the old Citadel colors, it's not a problem. Most of the time I'm finding, like, when I compare it with the old Citadels and stuff, I really like the product better now that I'm getting more and more comfortable and understanding where their strengths are with their base paints plus where their strengths are then with their finished paints, which is a whole different experience. I don't think I've ever used anybody's company that came out with a line that was specifically finished paints, which are just this kind of really translucent, great highlighting kind of color to use. It really helps make that models pomp with a without having to do a lot of blending or watering or or mixing in mediums and stuff which is something that I've gotten to do a lot lately so in in a lot of my painting and, you, and you, I think you see it and it reflects really well on my tomb kings next up uh the last square the last square is can be found at the com, and of course they always have 20% off on games workshop product you just have to call them up and let them know what you want and they'll go ahead and get it shipped out to you if you have the chance and you're in Madison Wisconsin go ahead and hit their local brick and mortar store right over on Odana Road next up we have Misty Mountain Games and Diversions Misty Mountain Games is right down the street from Dugansdell Studios, and Misty Mountain has the largest game space available in Madison, Wisconsin. So make sure you hit them out, check them out. Whatever your event or organization needs, they're great to work with, and I love the staff down there. It's just amazing. 
Finally, we have the Wisconsin Warhammer Fantasy Battles League, the WWHFB, which can be found at the WWHFB.com. Wisconsin Warhammer Fantasy Battles League is the oldest, longest-run Wisconsin Warhammer Fantasy Games Club in the state of Wisconsin. So if you're looking for a game of Warhammer in this state, that's the first place I would go check out because if for whatever reason we don't have somebody or a region that's actively playing in your area, chances are we know somebody or can get you pointed in the right direction to get you hooked up and get some Warhammer getting played. All right. So what did we talk about today? Well, today we pretty much covered a bunch of different events and stuff that we popped around bet round to both myself, mostly myself, uh, the Conzi, but also some things we checked in to see what Robert was good doing, what he's been going on because he missed a couple of shows and we checked in on, on kind of what Brian was going on with the cheese curd questions. We got a good kind of sampling. Sorry, we kind of had to cut those out of 33 just for length, but we got them into this one. They worked out, I think, really well to give us a little extra extra subject and make sure that you could hear from everybody. And finally, we covered the battle for Big Bull Falls and our experience, and thanks to Mike Ballard for joining us for that. And, of course, we finally got our Adepticon coverage. I know everybody else has kind of heard and talked about Adepticon already on their shows, but uh, I really wasn't there for a whole lot of Adepticon, so the parts that I was there for, it was great to be able to share with you. So thank you a lot. Make sure you check out the Adepticon footage that we shot, which is up on our YouTube channel. So check it out. You can click that, find that YouTube channel right off our website, right at the top of the page. That being said... Our hobby and gaming goals for the next week, since this is kind of coming out on the same day I'm recording episode 35, I don't think there's going to be anything I can set for a hobby or gaming goal really right at this point. I will go ahead and recap all my hobby and gaming goals that I've kind of accomplished since 33 on episode 35, and we'll kind of go forth from there. Thanks for listening, folks. We're going to go ahead and skip the fan. He wasn't able to join me tonight, so thanks a lot, folks, for listening. Appreciate everything you guys do. Uh, if you want to make sure you find us, uh, obviously you found us and you're listening to us, but we're on iTunes, Stitcher Start Radio, and BlackBerry Podcasts. Of course, if there's some place you'd like to find us at that isn't on one of those that you're trying to find us on, let us know. We'll try to get us li- get our show listed there. Also, make sure you check out our website at wiscodice.com. You know what was that website? It was uh something wiscodice.com, I think. Yep, it was wiscodice.com. Okay, and of course, at our site, you can download the show, check out our blogs. Um, they slowly get updated. You can catch our YouTube channel. Eventually, we'll get a few more videos shot up there. And all that kind of good stuff, get in and interact with our hosts. Uh, you can find all of our contact information there. The big thing is you can email us at hosts at wiscodice.com. That'll get to everybody that's part of the show. Also, you can go ahead and send your uh, shout-outs if you'd like. You can find all that information on the website as well. Finally, we're going to go ahead and let you know that you can catch us on all sorts of social media, whether that's Facebook, Twitter, or even Google+. You can find us in all those places. Again, all that inst- all that Syncontinent information's on WiscoDice.com. So, everybody, thanks for listening, and peace out.